Father, we just want to thank you once again for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for every opportunity that you give to us to come to you, to listen to your voice. And this morning, Lord, even through my voice, I pray, Lord, all of us will hear your voice. Let me be a vessel, O Lord, hidden in your hands, that you speak and we all hear. Lord, your word says it's the unfolding of your word that brings light. I pray, Father, that you would unpack your word this morning. That we will truly understand, O oh Lord, even a little more the depths of your love. That we will be drawn towards you. Lord, your word says no man can come to you except the Father draws him. You said, Lord, that you would raise him up even in the last day. And this morning I pray, Lord, that you would draw. Draw us a little more closer to you. Closer to what you have for us, O oh Lord. That to, to, that, to that path, O oh Lord, if we have strayed away from that path. Enable us to seek you this morning. Even through this time of preaching. Speak to our hearts. Anoint us to speak, to hear. And Lord, even through the ministry of the word, cleanse us and sanctify us and continuously prepare us that we will be a spotless, wrinkleless bride ready for your coming. Thank you, Father. Come at this time into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. One of the things that um, when you're growing up, you wanted to apply to some colleges abroad. They would ask you what we call as a statement of purpose. Okay. Why do you want to come to a college? It's called SOP. Okay. <laughs> statement of purpose is very important. And people write all, all kinds of stories. Uh, and they will say, you know, right from the time I was a child, I started playing with a helicopter. The helicopter fascinated me. And therefore, I want to join your robotics lab. Okay. So that is how a lot of people actually uh, write. And, you know, when you read the SOP itself, you know this guy has got nothing. So, statement of purpose is very important. Every university seeks for bright students. And they ask, why are you here? Why do you want to come here? What is the purpose? You see, Jesus also had a purpose for which he came to this world. The purpose, several purposes that we've been listening to this every Christmas time. We look at, we reiterate so many things. I want to show you a few purposes why Jesus came, and how he addresses himself, the purpose for which the Son of Man had come. If you, if you look at, uh, this is gospel according to Luke 19 and verse 10. It says, the Son of Man has come. This is a very interesting uh, title for Jesus. He uses it of himself. He is the Son of Man, the Ben-Adam, or the Son of Adam, the, la the last Adam. The reason why he has come is to seek and to save those who are lost. And this word is, the, Lord, the word lost is very interesting. It says, the word, this means people who are going towards perdition, who are going towards eternal destruction. That's what it means, to seek those people who are going towards eternal destruction. And the, why are they lost? They are lost because of sin. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15, this is what it says. 
This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief, the chief sinner. Okay. That is one of the reasons why he has come, to seek those who are lost, to seek those who are going towards perdition. Of course, that particular verse uh, is in the context of the story of Zacchaeus. We know that very well. Another purpose, this is Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, just showing you a few things that we already know. 2028, 20, it says, just as, again, the Son of Man, the, the, the title that he uses, the last Adam, did not come to be, sa- to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So first thing, he came to give his life as a ransom for many, and he also came to serve. Two things, very, incre- very straight, straight sentences, to take away uh, our sins upon himself. This is what it says in 1 John chapter 3. And verse 4 and 5, it says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. See? That is one of the purposes for which the Son of Man has come. To take away our sins. To give his life as a penalty for our sins. So that he can redeem us back to himself. to Back to God. And then again, we know this again, if you uh, heard the last Christmas uh, message, this was, it was based on 1 John chapter 3 verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, you see that? This purpose, the Son of God was manifested. That he might destroy the works of the devil. And if you remember last year, to break the power of witchcraft over our lives. Last Christmas, uh, December 25th, uh, 2021. Yes. So, to break the power of witchcraft, to break the power of the, uh, of the devil over our lives, that is what he was manifested. Another reason, J- John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. His purpose statement is very clear. Okay. He wants to destroy, ultimately, to take you to perdition. That's what it means. But what does the Son of Man come for? To seek those who are going towards perdition. The whole purpose of the enemy is to steal, to kill, and to finally take us with himself to perdition. To make us partakers of his eternal destruction. Of, it, of his eternal judgment. But what did, why did Jesus come? I have come. That you may have what? Life. This life. And how, this, how, how about this life? Life abundantly, abundant life. So, these are some of the few purpose statements of Jesus. There are several things which I don't want to mention it. We can possibly do a study sometime later. But, the purpose for which the Son of Man was manifested is to destroy the works of the devil. To seek those who are lost. Those who are going towards perdition. And to give us life that eternal life which will make us worthy to be with God all of our, to the rest of our eternity. And that's, what, that's the reason why it says in John's Gospel, chapter 17, verses 1, 2, and 3, it says, this is eternal life, that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That is the purpose. The purpose for which the Son of Man came, so that he could give us his life. Okay. The life which we lost when the first Adam sinned, when he was cut off, the Bible says, 
God warned him and he said, the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And when he ate, death came into the Adam race. And that's the reason why it says, by one man's disobedience, sin entered into the world and death through sin for all sin. What an impact, what a powerful statement that is. But in Christ Jesus, that is the last Adam. Sin has been taken away, it's been purged, it's been It's been put away once and for all so that we may have righteousness and a gift of eternal life. Gift of righteousness and as a gift of eternal life. So this morning I want to look at how do we become partakers of this life. Bible says uh, in John's Gospel chapter 6, the disciples are leaving after Jesus is speaking some very tough words. He says, unless and until you eat of my flesh and you drink of my blood, you have no part in me. You don't have life. And some of the disciples are very upset. They are offended. And they they, they leave Jesus and they, they get offended and they turn back and go away. And Jesus looks at his 12 disciples and he says, do you also want to go away? And then he says, the flesh profits nothing. The spirit gives life. And then he makes a very powerful statement. He says, the words that I speak to you, what are they? They are spirit and they are life. That is how we get life. It's the words that he speaks to us. That is how we take part of that life. They are spirit and they are life. You know, one of the things that when I used to read the Bible, this is, what, this is what I used to think. God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. So that, excuse me, so, so that they can enter into the promised land and enjoy promised life. All good. But fundamentally, you know what God brought the Israelites out? They have a three-day journey in the wilderness so that they may serve me or worship me. God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt for himself. It is for himself. That is the reason why he says, I is I am the God who brought you up, brought you out of the land of Egypt unto myself. Therefore, thou shalt have no other gods apart from me. That is the purpose. What is the reason? I brought you out of my, for out of Egypt unto myself. So you know what he does? After he brings the children of Israel, they come to Mount Sinai. And he's about to give them the covenant. He gives them the terms of the covenant. They all say, fantastic, we will obey the terms of the covenant. And then Moses goes up, gets the law. And one of the things he also does on, the, in, on, on top of the mountain, he gives Moses a, 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 a plan for the tabernacle. And why does he want the tabernacle? He says, I want to be with my people. Okay. I want to be with my people. I brought them out of Egypt. Now I want to dwell among them so that I can be their God and they will be my people. I want to have fellowship with them. The fellowship which was broken in the Garden of Eden because of the disobedience of Adam. I want to restore that fellowship back to myself with my people so I want to come and dwell among them in their midst. So make a tabernacle. Okay. So that I can speak to them and they can come towards me. And by the way, this is 
This was his intention for all the tribes, for all the 12 tribes. Of course, later on, it's only the tribe of uh, Levi who gets access. We know that story. But look at what it says in um, John's Gospel uh, chapter, John's Gospel chapter 1 and verse 1 onwards. This is 1 and then verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And one of the purpose statements of God, which is encrypted in the, in the gospel according to John, in John's gospel chapter 1 verse 14, we, we, we sang that song, what child is this? The word who became flesh. Look, this, this is what it says. Verse 14. And the word became flesh. And what did he do? He, what? Dwelt among us. The word for dwelt is very, is very powerful. It means he tabernacled among us. So who is the tabernacle? Jesus himself is a tabernacle. He tabernacled among us so that we can behold his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So that is a purpose for which he came. He came and tabernacled among God's people so that the very purpose of God, which was to be with his people so that he could have a set of people set apart for himself and dwell with them. You know, this is what Moses understood. He said, you know what, Lord? God was so frustrated with Israel. He said, you know what? If I come and be with you, I I will come and, you know, many people will die because the moment I come, I'm so holy, I can't go with you. You know what Moses says? And and God says, you know what? I'm going to send an angel ahead of you. Please go to the promised land, but I'm not going to come with you. You know what Moses said? Moses says, you know, Lord, we didn't come for a promised land. We came for you. And he says, unless your presence goes with us, don't take us away from here, from this place. If your presence is there, even the wilderness is promised land. You understand that? Okay. It is, see, the, the presence of God is the most important thing. No? Umar Khayyam, the great Iranian Persian poet, he made a powerful statement, no? He says, a loaf of bread and a glass of wine and your presence, my, my love, is paradise in the wilderness. All I need is what? A loaf of bread. A little joy in my life and your presence in my life. You with me. Yeah. And that's enough. Wherever you are, paradise in the wilderness. That's exactly what happened. There was a company among those people who came out of Egypt who loved God. In the wilderness. And you know what God remembers? That, that generation, he says, I remember your love. You're espoused. You were espoused to me. That, that, that uh, engagement love that you had for me. <laughs> I remember that love. That was in the wilderness. And you enjoyed my presence. You were not even thinking about the promised land. You were only thinking about my presence with you. That is the purpose of God. The purpose of God is to have a relationship. What was broken with Adam? Adam had a fantastic, uh, what do you say, this, this blessing where God would come at the cool of the day and fellowship with him. And there was nothing between Adam and God to separate them. They were having beautiful, intimate worship and fellowship. That was going on. But the moment sin came, that fellowship was broken. And who was longing to get that fellowship back? It was God, not Adam. You understand? So it is a purpose of God. The purpose is that flesh, the word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. 
so that we can come into the presence of God. Deuteronomy chapter 18. This is what it says about Jesus. Uh, uh, Moses is prophesying about Jesus. From verse um, 15 onwards. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Okay? From your midst, from your brethren. And this is definitely not Prophet Muhammad. Okay? Very clear. <laughs> because he is not from their midst and is not among his brothers. Okay? Because they all cite this and say that is our prophet. Mm, this is not that prophet. Okay? He's a is the most most obvious false false prophet in the history. Okay? According to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore, lest I die. You see, God came, there was thunders and lightnings and everybody started getting scared. Even Moses said, you know what, I also tremble. Who can approach this unapproachable God? And God said, okay, fine, I understand. You're right. But I know, you know what I'm, what I'm going to do? I'm going to send a prophet just like you. And he's going to make it possible for you and I to have communion, to have fellowship. Deuteronomy chapter 18, it goes on to say, And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. Absolutely. I will raise up from them a prophet like you among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require of him. This is talking about Jesus, the very prophet of God, who is going to be, who's going to be that middleman who is going to reconcile both man and God. And you know what it says? You can have sweet communion and fellowship. So the whole purpose of the tabernacle was how can a man approach God? The man who is saved, by the way, how can he approach God? This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 9. This is talking about uh, the tabernacle of Moses in Hebrews chapter 9. Then indeed even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and earthly sanctuary. Okay, For a tabernacle was, was prepared, the first part, in which was the lampstand, the table, and the shoebread, or the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. Just keep that in mind. Okay, And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all or the most holy place. This was the tabernacle through which you, have, you could enter into the tabernacle and then you can go into the holy place and, to, and through that to the most holy place and there you can directly have communion with God and have fellowship with God. But again it goes on to say, this is Hebrews chapter 9, not Hebrews chapter 9, this is Hebrews chapter 10 by the way. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way to the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. You see, the old covenant tabernacle was only a shadow. The substance is what? Christ. The word became flesh and what did he do? He tabernacled among us. What the tabernacle was for in the old covenant is a type for the new covenant believer, a type of Christ. So first song, you know, when, when they were doing the sound check, you know what he was singing? I enter the holy of holies. And I immediately was struck by that. Then I said, how is it possible? Yes, how can I enter the holy of holies? How can I have boldness and confidence to enter into the holy place? To seek mercy and grace in the time of need? You know why? Because there is a new and a living way through the body and the blood of his son. God made it possible. And who is the tabernacle? Jesus himself. 
And therefore he makes this incredible emphatic statement. One of his purpose statements. The, re- the reason why the son of man had come. And he, the word became flesh in John's gospel chapter 14 and verse number 6. This is Thomas. Okay. Thomas's word is to all Indians. John's gospel chapter 14 and verse 6. This is what he says. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The way back into the holiest of all is through me. I am the, I'm, I will be that tabernacle from which, through which you will be able to have direct fellowship and communion with God. The new and the living way made possible through Jesus. The way, the truth and the life. You see, God is triune. We are also triune. We have a body, outer quotes, we have a soul, and we have a spirit which was dead. Okay, which was dead. But when we were born again, it was revived. And now what we are being saved, as we heard in so many contexts, is we are being saved in our soul. The salvation is a salvation of our soul. And the process is this. First, you come to the way. Next, you understand the truth. And then you gain life. What is the life? The words that I speak to you, what are they? They are spirit and life. But there is only one way. The way, the truth and the life is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is the tabernacle. That is the reason why Jesus tells the Samaritan uh, lady in John's Gospel chapter 4, this is what he says in verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father. How? In spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship. God is spirit. Okay. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And if you want to go back to the Father, There is only one way. No one comes to the Father except through me. But there are three things that I have to deal with. I have to understand the way. I have to know the truth. And only then then will I receive life. What is life? The words that he speaks to my spirit. Revelation for my life. Continuous revelation. Deep, continuous, abiding uh, uh, worship and communion with God. So this morning, we look at the old covenant tabernacle. And understand how it fulfilled the new covenant tabernacle, Jesus. And how we apply that into our own lives so that we can have communion and fellowship and worship with God. Alright? So fascinating. I mean, one of the things that I get really excited about is the tabernacle. Okay? There are 16 chapters in the, in the book of Exodus which is, delet- which is devoted to the tabernacle. One first part is uh, God giving Moses the blueprint. And he says, "You be careful that you do everything according to the pattern that is shown in the mountain. Okay. And then the second part is a building of the tabernacle through a man, through a man called Bezalel, who is a type of a new covenant servant. Okay. Who builds like a wise master builder, like Paul, who's given the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Who builds this tabernacle so that one can actually have fellowship God, fellowship with God and reach the most holy place. And by the way, the tabernacle had three parts. Again, let's look at the tabernacle. It's a very 
overall picture of the tabernacle there's so many things which you can which we can go into but i'm going to focus on some very simple basic truths and apply it because so many questions as to how can i have a deep walk with god how can i have communion with god how can i not be a soulish christian and be a spiritual christian how can i not be a person who's of the flesh but of the spirit how can i ensure that my emotions don't deceive me so many practical questions that people have how can i know and have this assurance that the words that i hear are words that god is speaking directly to me and he is directing the course of my life how do i do it and god is a father and he wants to guide his children okay so he comes he shows us ways as to how we can reach that place and have direct communion with god okay let's look at the tabernacle uh, tabernacle has three parts tabernacle has three parts it is first we have the outer court okay huge outer court big outer court and in the middle of the outer court is what we call the holy place okay the new covenant calls it as a sanctuary okay sanctuary means something a place which will cause you to be sanctified from the people who are left out in the outer courts and then of course is the most holy place now you should see the tabernacle is very interesting tabernacle is a huge i mean it's not a very huge thing it had uh, linen walls almost like 7 and 1/2 feet tall okay and it had a veil through which you you had to enter and the veil was on the eastern gate on the eastern side okay so the first person if you want to know what is happening in the tabernacle what should you do you should enter okay it's so tall that you cannot okay what is there inside let me check it out first then i will enter no no you will know only when you enter and how do you enter you enter by turning your back to the east and enter through a veil and come to what we call as the outer courts and the first step therefore to enter into the tabernacle is what we call the door or the step of repentance so how do you enter into this tabernacle the first place first step is a pathway of repentance you turn no one comes to the father except through me and how do you come back to the father through repentance that's exactly what happened to the prodigal son how what is the way back to the father he came to his senses and he says oh even the daily workers in my father's house they have sufficient bread and he went back to the father how did he go back he came to his senses meaning he understood that the pathway that he was taking was absolutely wrong therefore he turned and he went back to the father the first step into the tabernacle is by turning to make a 180 degrees turn is a pathway through repentance it is impossible to enter into the tabernacle without repentance it's impossible and this is a daily thing it's just not one day that for the first 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 message that john the john the baptist preaches he says repent for who is for what is near for the kingdom of god is near repent don't say we have abraham as our father no no god is able to raise stones through abraham for abraham okay. so don't say that i was born in a christian family whatever it is turn understand repent for the kingdom of god is here the first path first step to enter into the tabernacle is a pathway of repentance but the problem is repentance 
this does not mean that you will be completely you will without the next step there's no reconciliation what is the next next step in the what you see in the outer court is something very interesting in the outer court there are two elements which you cannot miss first is what we call as a brazen altar a bronze altar okay it's like seven and a half feet and a seven and a half, seven and a half feet square huge bronze altar the moment you enter it's like right there staring at your face bronze altar <clears throat> enter into the and then the moment you repented of your sins what you have to first encounter is the bronze altar and what is the bronze altar bronze stands for judgment we know it very well right bronze stands for what judgment what has to be judged sin has to be judged first thing i repented of my sin but i have to be reconciled to god but there cannot be reconciliation with god without the payment for your sin so when you look at it you look at this bronze altar and you'll say boy judgment in the moment the word judgment comes what do you get into your heart tension but you know you should never look at judgment that way god did not judge us he judged his son god's wrath was poured out on his son see god gets angry we also get angry what we call as a wrath of man and the wrath of god wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of god wrath of god produces the righteousness of god wrath of man who was the first man first person who was angry cain okay wrath of man kills his brother wrath of god kills his son understand that both are angry but in the wrath of god god judge his son he poured out his entire wrath upon his son so the ultimate if you see if you if you if you want to look at how, where the if i can use that word that word that word the vectors of space time and history they match on the cross where the wrath of god was poured out on his own son so that we can set free and what he gives us he gives us his righteousness as a free gift the first thing you see is a brazen altar the second thing you also you see is the bronze laver what do you see is a bronze laver but what happens at the brazen altar four things have to happen at the brazen altar listen carefully four things have to happen at the brazen altar first thing that has to happen is you have to deal with your guilt second you should deal with your sin third you should deal with your old man and fourth you have to make a decision to surrender your life to god let me explain one of the things that many people including me every day we struggle is with unconfession but it says there is no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus so what happens the moment you come to jesus and you confess your sins it says the blood of jesus what does it do it cleanses us and it grants us a clear conscience with god on the bronze altar the wrath of god which was supposed to be poured out upon us he poured out upon his own son so that we could receive mercy 
Let us come boldly and confidently to the throne of grace. How is it possible? Because on the cross, Jesus took away our guilt. Look at what it says in First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Very powerful verses. For Christ also suffered, how many times? Once. For what? For sins that we have committed. The just for the unjust. He was a true, righteous, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Isn't, isn't it interesting? When the prodigal son comes back, what does uh, the father say? Bring the best robe. Okay. Bring the shoes. Bring the ring. And what else? Ah, one poor fatted calf has died. You see, there is no reconciliation without the death of an innocent animal over there. God himself became that spotless. That is the reason why he says you were not redeemed by imperishable things like gold and silver, but by the what? By the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish. He was crucified on the cross for our sin. And what is the whole purpose? That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. He was put to death in the flesh. For what? Like if you heard yesterday's Q&A in Romans chapter 8 verses 1 and uh, 1 onwards. It's, this is what it says. There is therefore now. When? Now. Oh! Sir! I think he says, uh, please remember me when, when you enter into, into, into your kingdom. And he says, when? Today you shall be with me in paradise. Today. Not tomorrow. Now. Today. There is therefore now, that is the reason why the vilest offender who truly believes tomorrow he receives the pardon. No. That moment from Jesus a pardon receives. A transaction. That, that song that we sing. And the transaction so quickly was made when at the cross I believed. What was the transaction? Sin upon his son and righteous righteousness for me. The punishment that was due for, upon his son and we are released without any punishment, without any judgment. You know why? The wrath of God was poured. Every time you hear this, you should say, Lord, thank you. Because who is there here today who does not need the mercy of God? Who does not need the forgiveness for your sins? Everybody. No condemnation. Look at what he says. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Verse 3. God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and account for our sin. He condemned our sin. In whose flesh? In Jesus' flesh. So that we have no condemnation. Guilt is taken care of. You remember? That, that guy who was bedridden who was brought by his four friends. Hey, come to Jesus, Ray. come to Jesus. No, Baba. no, 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 I can't come. I've sinned so much. I can't show my face to that holy man. No, come, Ray. No, no, no. I'm not coming. I'm not coming. He's holding God to his bed. This fellow, this fellow said, okay, no. You know what, I'm, what we're going to do? We're going to tie him up to the bed and take him like that. And the first thing Jesus says to that, to that guy, son, your sins are forgiven. What a statement that is, huh? Son, 
your sins are forgiven. I remember when my <laughs> when I stole that lighter from my dad. You know, dad's lighter was stolen. I gave it to my Telugu teacher as a gift. Dad's lighter. And we were searching all over because he wanted to give that lighter to his boss as a gift. Searching, 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 searching. And he lets it. Vijay, did you see this lighter? Mm-hmm. No. And you know, parents know, they'll, they'll see through now. Now after you know, become a parent, you, can, you know how you can easily see through your children. And he said, Vijay, come here, come here. Come here. Tell me, what did you do? I started crying. And you know what he said? Son, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> remarkable, remarkable, isn't it? Sins are forgiven. What a statement for me. Because I know uh, the wrath of my father also. <laughs> you see, understand that. God's wrath was poured upon his son and he says, you know what? And then everybody is grumbling. He asked them, is it easy to say your sins are forgiven or to say, pick up your mat and walk? What is easy? According to you. Pick up your mat and walk is very easy. To say sins are forgiven. Just imagine, no? Husband tells his wife, your sins are forgiven. Very difficult. Very difficult. Try it in a relationship. In the closest of relationship. Okay, I forgive you. That too with a, with a grave robotic tone. I forgive you. Okay. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> you see, but you know what it says? Yesterday we heard, no? While we were sinners, we were without strength, when we were ungodly, when we were enemies, God commends His love towards us. He sent His Son to die for us. Sins are forgiven. Therefore, Understand this one purpose for which God sent His Son. Why did He send His Son? Not to condemn, my dear brothers. Not to condemn. Your guilt has to be taken care of. Every day your guilt has to be taken care of. Because if you have a guilty conscience, you cannot serve God. A lot of people try to do that. They sin. They try to think they can earn back the favor of God. Okay, I will not go to church. I will live a righteous life for one more week. I used to think that. That's exactly how I used to think. One more week I will try. After I have <laughs> tried in my flesh, then I will go to God. Okay, Lord, please forgive me. What? At that moment. You cannot do that. You know, my, my mentor, the last drop, he was dropping me off to the, uh, to, the, to the railway station on a scooter. And he says, Vijay, remember one thing. Even if you fall a million times, go back to God. Even if you fall a million times, go back to God. Your guilt has to be taken care of. That is the reason why John Wesley says, you know, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused the quickening ray. Thine eye diffused the quickening ray. That's exactly what Peter was like, bitter and weeping. Jesus looked at him and he was weeping and weeping and weeping. Guilt was too much. But God, you know what he did? He did not send to condemn. But the problem is this. Verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. 
But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. What has come? Light has come. But men loved their darkness. They loved their darkness. Then you don't have any problem. Then you don't have any hope. You know, as long as you love your sin. Deliverance is for the desperate, is what Derek Prince says. What is that? Everybody say that? Ah, deliverance is for the desperate. As long as you are not desperate, you will not get delivered. If you are like Pharaoh, when do you want the frogs to be removed? <laughs> Everybody knows that. Tomorrow, one last time in this uncleanness. You know what the Bible says? Outside are dogs. Everything which is unclean is outside. If you want to enter into the tabernacle, you have to hate your sin. You should be sick and tired of your failure. You should say, who is going to deliver this, deliver me from this guilt? That's the reason why I love, I love Pilgrim's Progress, no? Oh, he says, this burden of sin, who is going to deliver me? And the problem is, many people try to take away that burden. You know what? Even the evangelist says, I cannot do it. Go to the cross, go to the cross, go to the cross. And the day he sees the cross, the burden is gone. But you know what? But he's desperate. He's desperate for deliverance. What he says in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 48. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? God, dum-dums. Because only God can forgive sins. No brainer this. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace, even when you fall. You know what Jesus tells Simon? Simon, Simon, Satan has asked permission for me, from me to sift you as wheat. And I have prayed for you. For what? For what? That you will not fall? No, 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 no. That your faith should not fail you. You know what? Even when you fail, your faith is counted to you as what? Righteousness. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? John's Gospel, chapter 8. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, this is the woman caught in adultery. Woman, where are those accusers of yours? <laughs> your conscience is accusing you. Your friends are accusing you. Everybody is pointing fingers at you. You know what Paul says? Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is there who condemns? It is Christ who died for sins. Yea, Christ who was buried. Yea, Christ who was raised from the dead. Who is forever sitting at the right hand of the Father. Making intercession for us. Not accusing us. So the first thing that you need to do. When you go into the tabernacle. What you see is a brazen altar. An expression of judgment. But judgment on his son and love towards us. God commends his love towards us. That we were, when we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Okay, that is Jesus. What is the bronze altar? Jesus. The cross. That is the reason why it's a new and a living way. <laughs> you see, you should, you should understand what is being given to us in the new covenant. In the old covenant, the holy, in the most holy place, only the high priest can go once in a year. 
and what he should have on his body is full of bells. Because when he goes into the most holy place to make atonement for the sin, with all that incense and everything, what they have to constantly keep hearing is what? The tingle of the bells. Okay, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. The moment the tingling is stopped, what has happened? Who's dead? The high priest is dead and there is no what? No atonement. Only if the high priest comes back, then you know all that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yahweh, thank you. You accepted us. Atonement is made, made, made one, one more year contract is signed. You remember when you go to your appraisal? First year, you sign a three year contract. And appraisal comes. All your performance is making sound in the discussion room. Ting, 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 ting. <laughs> and then when it comes out, okay, you are given promotion. Ah, thank you, Jesus. That's exactly what happened to the high priest. He came out, oh, one more year. <sighs> Atonement is done. You don't have to worry. You know what? Our high priest is where now? Alive. Not in the holy place in the, on the earth. Where? In heaven. And he is alive. Do you, hear, do you hear the tingling of the bells in your spirit? That he's alive. Forever making intercession for us. Understand this. Jesus said to them, to, to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have what? The light of life. But the problem is, you want to enjoy this? You have to be desperate. You have to hate your sin. You see, tabernacle had this huge wall, seven and a half feet tall walls. Of course, nowadays people are basketball players and volleyball players are seven feet, eleven and all. Normal size. People can't peep and see. In other words, either you are outside or you are inside. There is no two ways. I will also want God and I will also want the world. It doesn't happen. God will save you from your sin. God will not save you in your sin. There's a lot of difference. What do we want? A savior who will save us in our sin. We want to continue in our sinful lifestyle. Not hate it. I'm not talking about people who fall, who are weak. We're not talking about that. People, even after they fall, they don't like it. They say, this is not me. This is not the new man who was created in Christ Jesus because a new man does not sin. He does not sin. He cannot sin. Look at what it says in Psalm 36, verse in the NIV, verses one onwards. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. <laughs> I like that. Okay. From where? A message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. What is there not, what is not there in their hearts? There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. I have not read it. I'm so stunned. I'm stunned. It's a stunning statement. Do you detect your sin? Do you hate it? You can't detect it. If you can't detect it, you can't hate it. 
the words of their mouth are wicked and deceitful they fail to act wisely or do good the first thing therefore deal it deals with your guilt second what it deals with is also not just the guilt it's the power of sin the cross not only takes away your sins it's all it also takes away the power of your sin hebrews chapter 9 verse 26 he then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world but now once and once at the end of the ages he has appeared to put away what sin remember the words to cain 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 sin is what crouching at the door and his desire is to have you but you have to master him You don't have to sin. Yeah. So sin is taken care of. The power of sin is taken care of. And what is the power of sin? What empowers sin is your iniquity. We heard that, right? The disposition to sin. That is also taken care of on the cross. And where does the disposition to sin lie? It lies in the old man. It says in Romans Romans chapter 6, six and verse 6 onwards, it says, knowing this, that our old man, the old Adam, the rebel in whom sin dwelt, who is the fellow who causes you to sin and who justifies that sinful lifestyle. What has happened to that fellow? He was also crucified with him. So on the cross, three things happen. First, what happens? First, your guilt is removed. Second, your sin is removed. Third, the rebel, the old man who causes and justifies your sinful action. Three fellows are taken care of on the cross, on the bronze altar. That is the cross. So that for he who has died has been freed or rather justified. He's been justified. That's what the word says. How did it happen? Because he crucified his son on the cross. This is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 21. We looked at it in so many contexts once more. Okay. Verse 21, 20 onwards. And they shall say to the elders of the city, this son of ours. Okay. You can put your name here. Okay, this Vijay of ours is stubborn, is rebellious. Okay, how many not stubborn? Right from the time you were born, you were not stubborn. That fellow is stubborn. He is rebellious. He will not obey our voice. What should the other people do? Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones and shall put away the evil from among you. But you know what he did? He put away evil. By crucifying his son. This is what happens in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, he is to put on put to death and hung on a tree. Why? Whoever is hanged on a tree is what? Accursed of God. He himself became a curse for us on the tree. So what do we respond? How do we respond therefore? First, guilt is taken away. Second, what is taken away? Our power, the power of sin is taken away. Third, the old rebel is been put to death. So what is the fourth thing that we need to do? All the mercies that we have received from God, what should we do? I beseech you, what? Therefore, brethren, based upon the mercies of God, what should you do? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That is Romans chapter 1 verse 21. I beseech you therefore brothers by the mercies of God. That you present your bodies where? On the altar before God as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. This is your reasonable service. In all the love that you receive from God. And the mercy that you receive from God. The least that you can do is to offer yourself. 
Okay, the first thing. That is what is the bronze altar. The altar signifies the cross, what the cross has done for you. And the second, it also signifies, you know what? I'm come here, Lord. I want to surrender myself. Where are you? Till now, where are you? You're still in the outer courts, by the way. Where are you? Still in the outer courts. And after you finish the work on the bronze altar, you want to enter into the holy place. Wait. What stops you between the bronze altar and the holy place or the sanctuary is the bronze laver. Exodus chapter 30, verse 17. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, you shall also make a laver of bronze with its base also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. The tabernacle of meeting. The tabernacle. Okay. It's very interesting, you know. The tabernacle is 30 feet, 30 feet long. Sorry, 30 cubits long. 10 cubits in this length. And then 10 cubits high. The holy place is 10, 10, 10. Perfect cube. Outer courts, lot of people. Holy place, fewer people. Most holy place, only one. In the most holy place, who is left? You and God, all by yourself. You see, that is the reason why the path is very narrow. How many will find it? Few? Entrance exam to top university. How many applications you get? I mean, I was I was talking to Shrikant the other day. He said, Pastor, you know what? There were 5,000 applicants for this job that I applied for. 5,000 applicants. Mm-hmm. Many want to get into Lufthansa. <laughs> but how many made it? Finally, they selected three. Out of 5,000. Understand this? He said, Pastor, it was only a miracle. Here also, (laughs) so many people in the outer courts, everybody wants to hear from God. But how many people will actually make it till the end? So before you enter into the holy place, what do you have? A bronze lever. What lever? Bronze. It's still not golden. Still bronze. And what does bronze stand for? Judgment again. On the altar, God was judged. Who was judged? God was judged. At the lever, who should be judged? I should judge myself. Let me show to you what does it, what that means. Okay. Exodus chapter 30 and verse 19 onward, 19 again. For Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and the, and the, and their feet with the water from it. And water signifies the word of God. We know it. What should they wash their hands and their feet? When you go into the world, what touches the world? Your feet. So you have to dust yourself or cleanse yourself from all the worldly ideas that you have you know, in other words, your PhD. Okay? No, I did not say that. Remember when Moses was confronted by Jesus in the burning bush, what did he ask him? 
take off your sandals from your from your from your feet because i know you have got full of wisdom of egypt you are extremely brilliant you have got full of doctorates and double doctorates please put those doctorates and then come close to me if you would have asked him 40 years before he would not have put them but now he knows that he is nothing he was made to realize that so he put away his sandals why when you come to the god don't bring your worldly ideas your mba degree from harvard will not work this is the profit this is how you make profits this is how you make profits in the company all those economics will not work with god god's economics are completely different see give and it shall be given to you <laughs> in other words please keep emptying then it will be given where do you find this economics what does the world say save invest etc 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 don't bring your worldly ideas don't bring your worldly thought patterns all your degrees and your accomplishments please remove them so continuously keep washing your feet the problem is see sunday we come to church from monday to saturday we are in the world definitely somewhere or the other some worldly principle has got in so what should we do when you come, come, come on sundays please wash that is the reason why jesus you know what he does he washes the feet of his disciples because all those worldly ideas your degrees and your accomplishments and your trust in them have to be washed when they go into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn an offering made by fire to the lord they shall wash with water less they blood sanctifies there are two cleansing agents when you confess your sins the blood of jesus what cleanses and sanctifies you and makes you righteous second cleansing agent is the word of god by the washing of water by the word that he may sanctify and may prepare for himself a spotless bride now think about it now when you go into the shower do you want one tumbler of water or at least a bucket of water yes how many of you like to take shower with hot water show me like boiling hot like it's like you should Yeah, so come on don't be ashamed i am like i love it no even if it is summer if it should be hot water after then only when i come out of the shower i'm like fresh so when you come on sunday morning pastor or if i am sharing the word what should we do prepare nice boiling water give you a nice shower so that when you go out holy fame ah sampurna snan you should feel like that how many of you like to take bath under a shower yeah under a shower is much more fantastic isn't it under the shower when the water comes and you don't have to worry you know when we were in canada right canada you have hot water 24 by 7 you don't have to wait for the tank the tank will never get empty you can sit under the shower as to how many hours you want you can sit yeah you come out after that fresh god has to cleanse you tumbler of water will not do chambudu neelu saripovu when tumbler 
one bucket also will not be sufficient. You should have nice. They have to pour that water on you so that when you go out of this place, ah, all those worldly ideas have been cleansed. I can tell you, no. I used to come on us Wednesday. I told you so many times in my testimony. Wednesday evening service was the most important service for me in the week. Because after two and a half days in the lab, I used to get frustrated. And I was also teaching in the university at that time. The students used to frustrate me. My life also used to frustrate me. And I was like, ah, my mind is all over the place, frustrated. I'm, I'm saying all kinds of things to myself. Okay. I'm cursing this student. I'm t- say, saying those things to the other fellow. And then, then time for going to, to, to church on, for a Wednesday evening service. And I used to come to the Wednesday evening service. I'm telling you, my dear brothers, my testimony for all the years when the Wednesday service was there. I used to come, boy, it was unbelievable. I finished the service, boy, clenched. And it was deciding, it's a deciding factor for my life, for my spiritual growth. The Wednesday evening service was to cleanse me. Thoroughly. And you know something? Wednesday service was most of the time teaching service. Remember? Revelation series. Okay. Depth study. What was happening? Water was being poured. See, it's interesting, no? If you come from the world and you start start, uh, start studying Revelation on Wednesday, what happens? Okay, thank you, Jesus. Robotics is not that, that important, okay? Okay, and I'm done. And the rest of the week is happy. Until I come to Sunday again. Twice in a week, I used to have a nice shower. Washing of water by the word. And what should they do? Constantly cleanse themselves. Otherwise, what will happen? They will what? Die. If you don't take a shower for a, for a long time, what happens? Germs will come, everything will come. Okay? You don't want to imagine all that, right? Okay? Juma to Juma, don't do it. Okay? Every day you do. Okay? Exodus chapter 38. But see, the problem is this. It's just not the water. How do you, how should you apply this water to yourself? That is important. Look at what it says. Exodus chapter 38 verse 8. He made, this is Bezalel, he made the labor. How did he make? He made the labor of bronze and its base of bronze. From the bronze mirrors. Kya baat hai? What mirrors? Bronze mirrors. So, when you go to the labor, in the bottom is a mirror. Whom, whom will you see? Your face. So, what should you do? Take the water. Cleanse your face. That's essentially what it, what it means. Okay. Look at what it says in James chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And the next verse. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man. Like a who? Like a man and not a what? If the man is mentioned, what is not mentioned? Who is not mentioned? Woman is not mentioned. Okay. Obviously, no? Who should be there? Like a man. Now think about it, no? When men go before the mirror, how long do they stand before the mirror? Honest men? Gone. Women? Again? Everywhere they carry a mirror. One parent in our school, I don't want to mention the name of the person. She said, in my home, there should not be any mirrors because I have all daughters. 
and i know right from childhood that daughters and girls are very conscious about their about how they look so don't want to have many mirrors in my home because if i have mirrors they will stand before the mirror for a long time mirror mirror on the wall who is the fairest of them all but how do men go to the mirror they look at the mirror tak tak 2 seconds is over therefore you should not be like a man you should spend time like a woman before the mirror what is wrong here that wrinkle over here one hair came out like this this eyelashes are gone you see what is happening you are constantly judging your face god is not looking at your outward beauty what is he looking at the incorruptible hidden person of the heart so how do you apply this water you look at yourself in the mirror and don't be like men spending 2 seconds before the mirror i mean think about men how many maybe 1 uh, minute 60 60 seconds in a week most most of the time even when you are shaving also cut 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 it's done so many bruises will come we'll take a old spice and apply like that and go no problem but women that's exactly how you should deal he says when you go before the mirror of the word of god don't be like a man who stands before a mirror and he looks at it he shaves and he goes out how many of you remember your face this morning men women definitely remember i was looking like this and they come and ask for confirmation was i looking like this also you see this is what he's saying apply the word to yourself wash look at it and cleanse yourself that is the reason why on the altar god was judged at the labor who's judged you are judging yourself otherwise what will happen you will die understand this therefore he says james chapter 4 draw near to god and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double minded cleanse isn't it interesting the tabernacle at the bronze altar and the bronze laver you've done all this and you still haven't entered anywhere <laughs> and the problem is most believers are stuck here most believers are here So what should be the word like it should be a word which tests you inside it shows you what you are inside the word should probe you it should show the intentions of your heart and when you receive that word cleanse yourself that is the reason why jesus says sanctify them by the truth your what your word is truth wash them by the word of god so wash yourself by the word of god regularly and let it just not be external okay let's not be external let's move on let's look at the next thing that encounters you when you finish your work in the outer courts you have what we call as the holy place the sanctuary okay sanctuary in the holy place again there are three pieces of furniture okay first is the table for shewbread it is not a table of shewbread it is a table for shewbread i just made that very clear over here okay i chose words uh, very carefully second the golden lampstand 
this golden lampstand by the way this is made of beaten gold i'll i'll come to that later on what is beaten gold third you see is the altar of incense and by the way if you look, uh, read the the hebrews account you'll see the altar of incense already in the holy of holies but in the old covenant it is there uh, in the holy place okay the altar of incense close to almost close to the holy place by the way just before you enter into the most holy place and then the fourth thing that you will find the fourth new thing that you encounter the moment you enter into the holy place is all three are there but but there's a veil yes you pass through the veil but something else is added can anybody guess what is added in the outer courts there is no covering it's all natural light the moment you enter into the holy place what you what gets added is what all under a covering the very important thing this don't miss this i'm going to st- start with this this is last but not the least because the table of shewbread the golden lampstand and the golden altar of incense will not make sense without this covering understand it okay so what is the covering the covering had four <clears throat> materials four materials the low, the first material was a linen blanket what was this blanket made of it was made of scarlet and purple with cherubims on it okay this is something which you cannot see from the outside absolutely inside the first covering was this linen covering what does it signify it signifies the inner life of the believer okay second you see is a goat skin what is a goat skin goat skin is the life of sin and on top on top of the goat skin is a ram skin dyed red that's interesting isn't it what covers your skin what covers your sin is a ram skin dyed red what does red signify blood ram signifies when isaac was offered on the altar remember what was stuck the ram was stuck okay who is that it is jesus what covers your sin is the finished work of jesus christ on the cross and on top of that you have a badger skin a thick coat badger means very thick you know, badger means like it's like a thick woolen coat woolen blanket kind of a thing which is not very attractive so from the outside when you look at it it looks like a you know badger skin absolutely not attractive like jesus no he was having he had no comeliness that we should get attracted to him so absolutely unattractive but inside of it was the ram skin dyed red on top of the goat skin the sin life of the believer covered and deep down inside is a linen scarlet purple cherubims but one of the things that you need to understand this is what the covering is made of this signifies the people who are called to ministry who have to cover other believers so that we can they can help them to reach into the most holy place what does that mean in order for me to enter into the most holy place one of the most important thing that i need to have is i should be under authority everybody say under authority. say that everybody i should be under authority i should have a covering 
In other words, the moment you are under authority meaning, you do not have the authority to make your own decisions. You are under somebody else's and that is uh, willingly. You are offering yourselves willingly. Okay, It's not compulsory. Only if you want to hear from God, by the way. Okay. In First Peter chapter 2, this is what it says. In First Peter chapter 2 verse 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed, because you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the what? The overseer of your souls. So what has happened? You have come now under the oversight of the eldership of the church. This covering which is made of linen, of goat skin, and of uh, 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 ram skin dyed red, and badger skin signifies eldership. And what has happened? You have come under the authority and the rulership of the elders of the church. And by the way, eldership is eternal. You know? Do you know that? In the throne room, what do you see around Jesus? Twenty-four who? Ah, elders. Twenty-four elders. Eldership is eternal. In other words, if you want to be near the throne room of God, one of the things you have to continuously learn is to come under the covering that God has ordained for you in your life. In your home, under your parents. In the church, under the eldership. A covering is important. You are what? Sheep going astray. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 9. When you don't have covering, you don't have a shepherd to oversee you. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep having what? No shepherd. What happens when you have no shepherd? You are vexed and you are scattered. You're vexed in your spirit and you're scattered in your energies. Your energies have no direction at all. And you're vexed in your spirit. I've seen many people like that. They're good good children. But you know what? They don't have direction in their life. They're all over the place. You see, one of the purposes of a coach is to take your energies and to channel them. The purpose of eldership or rulership is to take all the talents that you have and the giftings that you have, that you don't scatter them, but use them so that they are channeled, so that you become a blessing to others. Otherwise, you will be what? Weary and scattered. That is the reason why Jesus says, who does not gather gather with me? What does he do? He scatters. Either you are with me or against me. Therefore, he says, he said to, told his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers of you, therefore pray, the Lord of harvest, send out laborers into the vineyard. So what you need is a shepherding, because a restoration, you see, the body talks about the outer courts, is the outer courts. What is the holy place, the sanctuary, is your soul life. And the restoration of the soul happens only when you are under the guide, uh, guidance or the rulership of a, of a shepherd. Because a shepherd, what does he do? He restores my soul. You need to understand. So many people scatter. You know why? 
because they are like sheep that do not have a shepherd. I've seen, I've gone to many youth conferences. Not many, okay, not let me see, let me know exactly. In a few youth conferences that I've gone to, to preach the word, one of the things that I've seen in young people, sheep full of zeal, but no covering in their lives. And as a result, scattered. Scattered. Ezekiel chapter 34. The purpose of the sheep, of the shepherd, verse 34, verse 15, I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. So first thing, what does he do? When he looks at all the people who are having, who are hungry, he said, I have compassion upon, upon them because they were three days with me. Feed them. So what does he ask them to do first? Sit down. He makes me lie down. In what pastures? In green pastures. And then through the process of feeding the word, he restores your soul. So what does he do? In the process of restoration, what does he do? I seek those people who are what? Lost. Next, what does he do? What does he do? I will bring back that which was driven away. Driven away. They were hurt by some things that have happened in the church. Maybe, I don't know. They're just driven away. They said, I don't want to come to church anymore. For whatever the reason, he says, Lord, bring them back. He gives them a word which draws them back to fellowship. What does he do? He binds up the broken and strengthens what that, that which was sick. It is through the process of shepherding. What does he do? He disciplines. This, this word is destroys a, a, a little dangerous. I will discipline those people who are proud with judgment. I will discipline them. What happens? Where does it happen? Under. When you are under a covering. You see, the most important thing is a covering in your life. If there's no covering, you'll be scattered. Many people are not able to hear the word of God. They have the desire to, Lord, speak to me. I'm ready. I enter the holy of holies. Take me past the outer courts. They will sing, but they will never hear the voice of God. You know why? Because they refuse to come under covering. Those songs will remain songs. Need to understand. Come back to the shepherd. What is it? Therefore, you know what he says to the young people in First Peter chapter 5? He says, Oh, you young people, submit yourselves unto the elders. Why? God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. In due time, God will exalt you. In due time, come under the mighty hand of God. Surrender yourself. Come under covering. Be protected. Let me restore you, through, restore your soul through the process of the ministry of the word. You see, in the early church, they were given one command before they taught them. What is that? Be saved from this perverse generation. Those people who were, who gladly accepted the word, they were baptized. And what did they do? They continued every day steadfastly with the apostles doctrine, with fellowship, with breaking of bread, and with prayers. How did it happen? Because they came under covering. Okay? So first thing, come under covering. Everybody confess. I will come under covering. Say that. Do you really mean it? Mm-hmm. Otherwise you'll be scattered and weary. Vexed in your spirit. Next. After you finish, after you come under the covering, the first item of furniture that you have to consider. This is talking about your soul life, by the way. What does the soul have? It has three components. The order is very important. The will, the mind, 
the emotions. Everybody say, the will, the mind, and the emotions. Three things are important. The will, the mind, the emotions. Now, so what has to be first surrendered? Anybody knows the answer? The will. Bah, you know the answer. So look at what happens in the bread of, of, uh, of, of, of the presence. So the bread of presence is made of crushed grain. Okay? Not only crushed grain, baked grain. You know what baking is, right? You put it through the fire. It is crushed grain and it is baked grain. What is crushed grain? The question is, before we have crushed grain, how is the grain collected? How many of you buy Ashirvat Atta? How many of you think all that grains were brought from the same field? Different, different fields. Definitely, no? The wheat is brought from different, different fields. Okay, so what does God do? He will bring us one from a tribe, two from a nation. Okay, different, different grains from different, different fields. Through the preaching of the evangelist, the evangelist goes and he puts a sickle, he preaches the gospel and he makes the harvest, he brings in the sheaves and he gives it to the shepherd. Okay, what is the evangelist supposed to do? Give the sheep to the shepherd. So the shepherd takes the grain from all different fields. Some people from North India, some people from East India, some people from South India, from different, different parts of the world. Different, different places, different, different backgrounds. All the grain is brought first. Then after that, what happens? Every grain is a grain, no? Unless a grain of wheat, what? Falls to the ground and... ah. So what does he do? He takes them and he crushes them all together. Okay. Before he crushes them, what does he do? He con- constantly bakes them also. This crushing and baking happens simultaneously. So what is happening? Your self-life is being crushed. And your will is being baked. Meaning, you are being tested. Every moment you are being tested. What will this fellow do when this crisis happens in the church? What will this fellow do when this happens in the church? Or what will this fellow do when he encounters this situation in his life? What are the choices that he's going to make? Is he going to make a choice according to self or according to my will? He's being tested and he's being ground. And nicely after he's ground, what happens? Nice homogeneous mixture is made. Now nobody knows from which background you are. You're all in that atta. And what does he do? He pours water. And he puts oil and makes nice what? Uh, dough. Okay. The dough has become absolutely homogeneous now. You know? Like somebody said, no, when you uh, yeah, yeah, it's like consistent. The dough is consistent. You should ask the baker over here, okay? Okay, it's perfectly consistent. Nobody knows which part they belong to. They're all one now. Uh, nobody says I'm this, I'm that, I'm from this background, no background. Everybody's the same. Okay. And then what does he do? He puts, he nicely makes those atta and he bails them and he puts it before God. What does God look at? He's looking at the surrendered will of the believer. What feeds God is your will. Uh, tell me, everybody say, what feeds God? My will feeds God. See, God cannot do anything with us unless and until we surrender our will to Him. What should happen on the bread of presence is an exchange of my will to His will. Okay? See, one of the things I tell my children 
all my children who come under who whoever has come to me it is not important for you to be intelligent now what is important diligent i want the brains of this person i want the intelligence of that person no 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 do one thing just be diligent and surrender your skill to god surrender give it to god there should be an exchange that is the reason why it says in john's gospel chapter 7 look at what it says in verses 16 and 17 jesus answered them and said my doctrine is not mine but his but his who sent me if anyone wills to do my will you see that if anyone what wills to do and holy spirit is never going to push you it is fully voluntary and what is god constantly saying it is called the bread of his presence or the bread of his face meaning god is constantly looking at you every moment of this day at this moment is which are living his life or is he living my life what is happening is there an exchange of my will with his will or not seven days the bread of the presence has to be before god and on the seventh day what should the priest do what should he do he should eat it <laughs> what should he do he should eat it now let me show you an example in the new covenant and in the old covenant so from the from the old covenant look at how it says in acts chapter 13 verse 21 and 22 this is about david and afterward they asked for a king so god gave them saul the son of kish a man of the tribe of benjamin for 40 years and when he had removed him why did god remove him this guy saul was an absolute rebel started very humble but he rejected god's word he rejected the anointing he did not obey the voice of god and finally he ended up with a witch he would not come under the surrender, uh, under, under the under the covering of god he was a rebel god removed him and gave him what david who is david a guy who sinned who had lots of problems and issues in his life but one thing about david he was not a rebel he was not a rebel you see even when he was under Saul a person who was after his life he never raised a hand against god's anointed what did he do he constantly came under the covering that god had ordained for him sometimes running away but under the covering you know what it says about david to whom he also gave testimony saying i have found david the son of jesse a man after my own heart who will do huh, all my will so what happens in first samuel chapter 21 verse 6 so the priest gave him the consecrated bread what was the consecrated bread the bread of the presence who ate it david ate it you know why because what was he doing he saying lord i am not here to do my will but i am here to do his your will so what is he doing exchanges happened and god gave him he surrendered his will to god and god said okay fine i am going to put my will into your lives and you are going to fulfill my will and what happened as a result what will happen as a result john's gospel chapter 4 Therefore the disciples said to another said to one another has anyone brought him anything to eat jesus said to them my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work and what happens when you exchange god's will to your will what you gain is supernatural strength the first thing therefore god sees is whether you will surrender your will to god everybody wants a fantastic mind a fantastic mind without surrender is very dangerous 
Understand this. Okay? Another example. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. This is in the NIV translation. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord. The word before means before the face of God. Where? Everybody read this? Can you read it? Under Eli? What was he doing? Exchanging his will for the will of God as a child. Table, you know what? The light was going out, almost about to go, but God spoke to him. God gave him revelation. You know why? He saw a boy who was surrendered, whose will was crushed, whose will was exchanged. Another example. This is for all students. To these four young people, who gave? God gave. Knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. You can put anything in that. Literature and learning. Mathematics, science, chemistry, biology, zoology, etc., etc. In literature, all kinds of literature. Who gave understanding? Why? They surrendered. You know what? Lord, we will not defile ourselves with the bread from the food from the king's table. We have surrendered our will to you. Now what are we going to do? We are going to exchange our will to your will. And you know what God says? I'm going to give you knowledge. I'm going to give you supernatural understanding. I'm going to give you visions. I'm going to give you dreams. Daniel also could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Literature, literature, learning. You want to know math. You want to become a genius in math. How many of you want to become a genius in math? Abigail did not raise her hand. Okay, fine. See, you you surrender to the will of God. God will give you this learning. God will give. So I'm telling you, this is not this is not uh, theory. This is practical. Practical. I I know certain times when how I got answers to my exam to my questions in the exams. Supernatural only. I remember my friend, Ajay, his name is Ajay. I told him so many times, no? A guy from HCU. He was from Telugu medium. He said, Vijay, I could not understand one thing the professor used to say. I studied and studied and studied. I was so scared. One day I said, Lord, you have to help me write this exam. So you wouldn't believe me, Vijay. I went to the exam. The Holy Spirit took over and he wrote the exam for me. He got a gold medal from HCU. Now we are serving the Lord in Karnataka. Okay. So I am telling you this is intensely practical. Who gives? God gives. All kinds of literature and learning. The challenge is you don't have to go to Chaitanya Narayana. No. Go to church and study six days a week. Six days thou shalt work and seventh day give it to God. That's exactly what God told the Israelites. Sixth days you work. Seven days is a holy convocation. Enjoy yourself with me. What will the entire world be doing? Either they will be pubbing or working. Over time. But you, not only that, every seventh year I'll do one thing. Sixth year I will give you three times the profit. How many times the profit? Three times. So what you should do, seventh year, just chill. How many of you can chill one day? People like me, chill one day? It's impossible. Impossible. 
because we are suddenly we'll shake we don't know what to do now this is no time i'm not doing anything god says one year don't do anything all the nations of the world will wonder these fellows they don't work no 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 first of all you enjoy your time with me i'll give you all the increase you know why i brought you to what to myself enjoy i will give you you think about it no i i always wondered no why the united states of america has got the best of the research and technology in the entire world because they are more brilliant than us i am telling you when i went to you when i was when i was in canada i was so many times better than the counterparts in canada in fact i used to sit with them 48 hours i used to teach them and i used to wonder what is different from these fellows they are got no much brains i'm sorry to say i'm not offending americans okay they are not so good in math we study we work hard we go to iit coaching this coaching 5000 students the seats for 250000 what uh, 2.5 crore people will write an exam for 5000 seats and these fellows they get in their entrance into mit and harvard we have to gisa pete everything and finally not not even guaranteed a seat you know what one, one of the things that i observed you know these are the, this is the people this is a nation which was under god they enjoyed god they surrender themselves to god and god bless them and what do indians do work and work and work and what do we do we go to america and we become research assistants for an american professor who is getting all the laurels them who is working hard you have seen it i've seen it in so many cases i'm looking at them I, i went to one of the top robotics conferences a fourth year not even fourth year student from a undergrad school he is along with me a phd from an indian school and was submitting a paper in the same conference i looked at him uh, how do you study i worked hard and hard. how did you get this opportunity you see the land of opportunity why that one country they surrendered themselves to god they came under god and god bless them i'm telling you you should see the kind of technology that they have there is no match for the kind of work that they do why because they are very brilliant the more hard working all that is there you know why they surrender themselves to god it's god who gave them the maximum number of nobel laureates per capita is from where israel you take away three jews from the history albert einstein sigmund freud and who else albert einstein sigmund freud and karl marx three jews you take away from from the history of mankind the whole history will be different three you know why god gave i had a I had a scientist who used to come to our Uh, to our lab he used to work uh, in the artificial intelligence lab in drdo you know what he used to say vijay i went to israel <laughs> boy <laughs> their technology we are nowhere compared when 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 we are compa- when we compare ourselves to them a small country with what not even a population of hyderabad and not even a size of hyderabad by the way small country why who gave god gave 
That is, you know why? Because they surrender themselves. You surrender yourself to God. Children, all the children are struggling with learning. And with literature. <laughs> you know what? Surrender yourselves to God. You know what? God will give you. God will give you. And ultimately, who will get the glory? God will get the glory. First thing is the bread of presence. The second thing before you go into the holy place is the second to last thing is what we call as the golden lampstand. Golden lampstand. This gold is just not ordinary gold. It is made of what we call as beaten gold. Beaten gold signifies workmanship. You know what the Bible says about us in the new covenant? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. For we are his what? Workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. So the golden lampstand. It used to throw light. And in order to receive light, that light, there had to be what we call as oil. And who gave, who supplied this oil? The oil was supplied by the priest. And what does oil stand for? Anointed teaching. What does it stand for? Anointed teaching. Look at what it says in Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. And verse 1 onwards. Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. How many channels? Seven channels. Seven stands for the sevenfold spirit of God. And how is this lamp burning? Because a continuous oil is being supplied. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right and one on the left. You know, old movies, no? The guy is on the bed and he's receiving blood. Direct transmutation is happening, no? Uh, one blood is, one, one, one patient on the, uh, patient is in the middle, one blood supplier on the left, one blood supplier on the right. And he's in the middle. The blood is constantly flowing in, inside of him. That's exactly something very similar here. Okay. So what you have is a lampstand and you have two olive trees. Who are these olive trees? These are the prophetic people. I mean, these are people who have a prophetic revelation. These are people who give a anointed teaching and continuously, constantly fl- uh, put the oil into your lamps. Ze- Zechariah chapter 4. This, this is what it says. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? He answered, do you know what these are? No, my Lord replied. He replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord. What is this? This is the word of the Lord. Okay. To Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. See that? What is this? This is the word of the Lord. Who gives the word of the Lord? It is a prophetic ministry. Is the, the ministry of the apostles and the prophets. Continuously pouring the anointing through the ministry of the word into your lives. So that you have an illuminated mind. That you have anointing. And that you have light in your lamps. So that whatever you do is but what? Is by your spirit. What are they doing? Through the ministry of the word. They're constantly supplying that spirit. Look at what it says. Continues to say. What are you mighty mountain before Zerubbabel? You will become a level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to the shouts of 
God blessed or God blessed or grace, grace. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of the temple. His hands also will complete it. How does it happen? It is through the anointed teaching. Look at what it says in Galatians chapter 4, 3, chapter 3 and verse 5. Therefore, therefore it says, therefore he who supplies the what? The spirit. To you and works miracles among you. Does he do it by the works of the law? No. But by how? By the hearing that comes from faith. So even as you hear the word of God, every Sunday, every Wednesday, every time the preaching is done, and what is happening? There's a constant supply. By faith, even as you receive the word, God is constantly supplying his Holy Spirit into your life. So that what? Your mind gets illuminated and your light continuously burns and gives light to others as well. Okay. What is that? Golden lampstand. It's all here. This is in the mind. That is the will. This is the mind. Therefore, again, what should you do? Surrender yourselves to teaching. Psalm 141, verse 1 onwards. Lord, I cry to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry to you. Let my prayer be set forth, set before you as instance. The lifting of my hands as evening sacrifice. But before that happens, let the righteous strike me. It shall be what? Kindness. And let him rebuke me. It shall be excellent oil. And let my head not refuse it. So what happens? You surrendered your will. And your mind has been illuminated. And now what happens? You go to the golden lampstand. Or the golden altar of incense. And continuously give praise to God. What happens? Your prayers get accepted. Okay? Your praise is accepted. And now what you have? is the access into the most holy place where you can receive the revelation from God. You can hear the voice of God. The way, the truth, and the life. So three instruments in the holy place are the most significant in our lives. First, you surrender your will. Second, you come under anointed teaching. And the moment your mind is transformed by the, by the teaching of the word of God, what happens? Your prayers and your praise becomes incense. Okay. What were the, what were the, what were the priests supposed to offer to God? Incense. But you know what Nidab and Abihu did? They offered strange incense to God. You know what happened? They were struck and they died. But the moment you surrender your will, and the moment you come under the anointed teaching, when your mind is being transformed, that's the reason why it says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Of your mind. And what happens? Your mind is transformed, your will is surrendered, or rather, your will is surrendered, your mind is transformed, and now the prayers that you offer will be according to the will of God. And what happens? You have access into the most holy place. The three pieces of furniture in the holy place is... One of the most important things for a believer, rather four, okay, sorry, four, uh, four, the table of shoebread, the golden lampstand, the golden altar of incense, and all these things under the covering or under the authority of the eldership of the church, what happens? You have a surrendered will, you have an illuminated mind, and what happens? You have a prayer life and a praise life and a worship life which is acceptable to God, and after this, what you have? is access into the most holy place from where you can hear the voice of God. But the problem with many believers, they're still in the outer courts. 
That is the reason why the Bible says in Luke's Gospel chapter 13, after Jesus preaches this message of repentance, the disciples come to Jesus and ask him, Lord, are there only few who are going to be saved? We're not talking about salvation over there. I don't think the sal- it's, it's talking about a salvation of the, as to the number of people who will enter onto the other side of eternity with God. There will be a lot of people who will enter onto the other side of the, of, of the of eternity with God. But not everybody will have access to the kind of people who actually sanctified their minds, you know, surrendered their will and did the will of God. There are very few. That is the reason why he says, strive to enter through this narrow way. Many people are still in the outer courts. They are near the bronze altar and they are the labor, at the labor. And what do they do? They never into the whole, enter into the holy place. They never come under authority. They never come under the anointing, anointed, they never surrender the will to God. They never come under the anointed teaching. And therefore what happens? Their praise life and their prayer life is absolutely useless. You know why? It says in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 verse 42, it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and the breaking of bread. And the last thing is what? Prayers. What is prayers? The altar of incense. Let my prayer like rise like incense. But when is that prayer acceptable to God? When you have a surrendered will and an illuminated mind. Only then it is acceptable. You see, all this is possible. You know why? Because Jesus, he paid the price for us on the cross and he gave us access into the holy place and he also gave apostles teachers pastors in the church so that you can be in the sanctuary you can surrender your will you can your mind can be transformed you will understand the will of god for your life and you know what happens one day you can enter into the holy place most holy place and you can directly hear god speaking to you consistently you know why? Because you've been consistently doing these things. You're going to the altar, setting your life in order. You're, you're dealing with your sin and your guilt. You're surrendering, surrendering your life. You're coming under the authority of the, of, of the eldership and you're, uh, you're surrendering your will to God. You're coming under the anointed teaching and what you have is a surrendered will and illuminated mind and your prayer life will be acceptable to God. So this morning, God made it possible by sending His Son. The Word became flesh. And what happened? It became a tabernacle among us. Jesus made it possible through the new and living way so that we can come directly into the holy place. But how is it possible? Because he became the altar. He became the brazen altar. Okay? Brazen altar. He gave us a word so that we can see ourselves in the light of scripture. Judge ourselves. He gave us a church. He gave gifts. It says, he took captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. And through the ministry of the word, he shows us as to how to surrender our will and how to have an illuminated mind and how to pray according to the will of God so that our prayers can be acceptable to God. He does all these things. He became the tabernacle so that we can have access to God and we can directly hear from God consistently and get guidance for our lives. So this morning, I just gave you an outline. Of the tabernacle, you can delve on this the way, the truth, and the life more and more. And even as you delve on this more and more, you'll understand, Lord, you know what? Every day, if I surrender bit by bit, one step at a time, one step at a time, it doesn't happen in a day. Every day, one step at a time, you allow your will to be crushed. Allow your will every day. Say, Lord, I surrender my will. Surrender my will. I come under the authority. I surrender my will. I will allow myself to come under the anointed teaching. My mind will be transformed. 
And Lord, when I pray, I will pray according to your will. Because now I, will, I would have understood not only your good, not only your pleasing, but your perfect will. So this morning, can we all stand up in the presence of God? Okay. Think about these things. There's so many things in scripture. I've taught you just an overview of what the tabernacle was in the old covenant. The old covenant tabernacle was did not make it possible for anybody to reach into the holy place, but in the new covenant. Because Jesus himself became the tabernacle. We all have access into the holy place because of his finished work and because of the gift that he has given to us, the church. So this morning, let's come and say, Lord, I surrender, Lord. Father, I pray, Father, for all of us, O oh Lord. So many of us, we need guidance. So many of us, O oh Lord Jesus, we want to have the assurance that we are hearing from you. So many of us, O oh Lord, are confused so many times. We do not know which path to take. But Lord, your word says, Lord, you gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds and teachers, so that you can equip the saints, so that they, can, they will not be children anymore, tossed about to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but they will have the assurance that this, this truly is the will of God for my life, because they would have had a surrendered will and a transformed mind. And when they pray, Lord, they would have prayed according to your will. Because they would have understood not just the pleasing, not just the acceptable, but the perfect will of God. Father, you made it possible. In the new covenant for us, by making your son the tabernacle, your son the, brains, the, bronze, uh, the bronze altar, your son the labor, because the very word of God became flesh. So that we could see ourselves in the light of who you are in scripture. Judge ourselves. You gave us the church with the leadership so that we could come and surrender our wills to you. You gave us teaching so that even as we come under the anointed teaching, O Lord, you constantly fill us with your Holy Spirit. Through the preaching of the word of God, Lord, there were ten virgins and five were wise and five were foolish because of five virgins. Although they were virgins, they did not have oil in their lamps. They quenched the spirit because they constantly did not come under the anointing. And therefore, when the time came for your visitation, they did not have oil. They did not have light. Although they were separated, they were virgins. But they did not have light because they did not have oil. I pray, Father, that we will not be like those virgins, O Lord. But we will be like those wise virgins who would have oil, who would constantly come under the anointed teaching, who would constantly have oil in their lamps, who would constantly allow the righteous to strike them so that it will become oil to their heads, the anointing. It will not be like the, the shield of Saul which was not anointed. Pray, Father, that you would that we would have oil in our lamps and it would be continuously burning, O Lord. And Lord, our minds and our wills will be transformed. Our wills will be surrendered. Our minds will be transformed. We will know what your 
pleasing, acceptable and perfect will is. And therefore we will learn to pray according to your will and praise you. So that Lord, when we pray and when we praise, our prayers and our praise will be acceptable to you because we are prayed and praised according to your will. And then Lord, we will get direction from you, O Lord. Constant, correct direction, a revelation as to what we should do every day of our lives. I pray, Father, that we will not miss out upon this blessing. So many things that you have taught us, O Lord, in all these years. I pray, Father, that we will have oil in our lamps and our lamps will be continuously burning. Thank you, Father, for this time that you have given to us. I pray, Father, that, Lord, that you will continuously burn your word into our hearts, O Lord. Make it an impression into our lives, into our hearts. Write your laws in the tables of our heart and cause us to walk in your ways. We thank you, we praise you, we give you glory. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray, and all God's children said, Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen.